This morning, we are going to look at the fourth pillar of Calvary Bible Church, one of those rather strange Sundays where we're not in a typical verse-by-verse study of the Word of God. However, I am going to immerse you in a few texts for a few minutes. This is a an exciting day for me. It's one that has been long anticipated, and I'm going to bring Pastor Joe up in a little bit, and he's going to share some of the excitement that we have to announce. But our fourth pillar has to do with personal discipleship, counseling, in-depth theological teaching, and so forth. And Pastor Joe is the one in charge of this. And naturally, this flows out of the third pillar of sharing the gospel of God's sovereign grace. Discipleship always follows evangelism. So if you will, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And I want to read to you verses 18 through 20 and make some preliminary comments that will help set the stage for what we believe the Lord would have us do here at Calvary Bible Church in this regard. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here we see that based upon the Lord Jesus Christ's absolute authority over heaven and earth, he gives his disciples a new directive, a very clear command, a specific mandate, one that goes to each and every one of us who know and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to make disciples. It doesn't say you are to join a church, join a denomination, go to church, become affiliated with some denomination, and so on and so forth, even though some of those things are very important. But his supreme command here is, I want you to go and make disciples. A disciple of Christ will be one that will obey and imitate the master and be about the business of making disciples. Not only will we be a disciple, we will be making disciples. It's interesting that making disciples here is the main verb and the central command of verses 19 and 20. And the term actually refers to the combination of believing and learning and obeying. It speaks of trusting in Christ as Savior, as your only hope of salvation, not in your works, not in anything that you can do, but solely of His grace. It also has the idea of confessing Him as your Lord, that He is your master, that you are His willing slave, And it speaks of the idea of serving and following him in continual learning, continual obedience. In fact, Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So a disciple is one who both learns and follows. 
We are the willing slaves of our master and we obey his command to go and make disciples. It's really rather simple. Now, the question is, are you a learner? Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's interesting that in Acts 20, we read how the Apostle Paul served there in Ephesus for three years and he went house to house and he said, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. That's the idea of discipleship. In fact, the word admonish, nutheteo in the original language, we get our word nuthetic, nuthetic counseling from that. It means to instruct, it means to warn, it means to teach, it means to impart understanding, it means to, to have a corrective influence on other people. That's what Paul did. That's what we are to do. Parents, you are to do this. We read in Ephesians 6 and verse 4 that you are to bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Instruction is the same term, nuthetao. You're to be discipling your children, warning them, teaching them. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul instructs pastors specifically through Timothy, he says, and the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You might say, well, but that's more for pastors. No, that's going to include everyone. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, speaking to the saints there in the church and to every one of us, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. There's the same term, nuthetao. Folks, we're all in this together. Are you going, are you making disciples? If not, why not? In fact, discipleship will encompass all of the one anotherings that we have in Scripture. Are you about those things? You show me a man or a woman who calls themselves a Christian and yet they have no desire and they demonstrate no interest in personal evangelism, telling other people about Christ. They have no desire to see other people conform to the image of Christ and I'll show you a man or a woman who either has a dead faith that cannot save or I will show you a very immature and disobedient Christian that is forfeiting blessing in his or her life. Sadly, churches are filled with these kinds of people. They're like dead weight on a ship in the midst of a terrible storm. It needs to be thrown overboard. They're like troops who have enlisted to go to battle, and yet they're staying in the barracks, playing games on their smartphones. Or they're like unproductive branches on a grapevine that needs to be pruned. They're not bearing fruit. They're not making disciples. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. He goes on to say in verse 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. 
and so prove to be my disciples. You ever question, wondering if you truly are a Christian? Well, here's one of the tests. Are you, are, are, are you, are you bearing fruit in your life? Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, my dear, precious church family, some of you, for whatever reason, have never come under the great conviction that making disciples applies to you. I would hate to think the reasons because you've never been taught Because surely you know this. If you don't, you will know it after today. But maybe you're just too self-willed. I fear that that's the case too often. It's so easy for us to become preoccupied with ourselves. And the ever-increasing forms of technology and entertainment and social media that distracts us from doing anything that is meaningful and God-glorifying in our life. I saw an interesting email the other day. I don't think any of you sent it to me, but if you want to see it, I'll pass it on. It was was really funny. It's got a picture of Albert Einstein. You remember what he looked like? And it has a quote from Albert Einstein that reads like this. I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will have a generation of idiots, end quote. And then it had picture after picture after picture after picture of young people doing this. My point is, it's real easy to get distracted with all of the things of this world and not being and not be about the business of making disciples. Maybe you're filled with the fear of man rather than the fear of God. You're afraid of rejection. You're unwilling to suffer for Christ. You're afraid that someone might attack you. Someone might mock you. Someone might ridicule you, that you might lose a friend. You know what, folks? 99 times out of 100... That's going to happen. But there's going to be at least one time when you come across someone who hears your testimony and hears the gospel of grace and they will absolutely melt in a puddle of tears realizing that they know nothing of what it means to be reconciled to a holy God. They know nothing of Christ and they will cry out to be saved. And that is a glorious thing to be a part of. And when that happens, when they are truly converted, that's just the beginning of your responsibility or mine. Now we have the responsibility and the privilege, as Jesus says here, to encourage them to be baptized. But there's more. Now they must be taught to observe all that Jesus commanded them. That's what it's all about. Well, you know, that's just not my gift. Oh, really? Where, where do you read that? Where do you read that you've got to have some special gift to do what the Lord has commanded all of us to do? I'm sorry, I, I don't see that anywhere. Does that mean you get a free pass? I mean, really? You're going to kid yourself with that? Well, you know, I, I, I help in other ways. 
Well, you know, that, that's great. That's wonderful. You should. But, you know, you also share in this responsibility and in this privilege. Well, I work hard and I give money to the church. Well, that's wonderful. You know, you, you're supposed to do that. You're commanded to do that. But you've got to remember, you are the church. And this mandate is given to you along with all the rest of us. Well, look, I, I'm just not into this, you know, passing out tracts and, and teaching people or whatever. Really? Do you really believe that that's the only way that we can do evangelism and discipleship? There are many ways to share Christ, many ways to make disciples. Going and making disciples, dear friends, is all about living for the glory of God through intentional, purposeful association with other people. That they might become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipleship is all about investing yourselves in the lives of other people for the purpose of showing them the love of Christ. And of course, first we have to give them the bad news of God's wrath abiding upon all those who have not placed their faith in Christ and been born again, but we also give them the good news of the gospel. We help other people then become like Christ. Folks, what about your husband? What about your wife, your children? What's your strategy with them? Do they know Christ? Are you sharing Christ with them? If they know Christ, are you helping them follow Christ? Dear friends, we are at war. I hope you understand that. Satan is doing everything he can to destroy your life. Satan is preparing the world for the Antichrist. He's seeking to destroy you, your marriage, your children, your family. He wants to silence Bible-believing Christians. He wants us to believe the insanity of the theory of evolution. The world wants us to believe that it's okay to kill unborn infants. They want us to accept homosexuality and every other kind of, of moral perversion. The other day, I read an MSNBC commercial. A professor by the name of, name of Melissa Harris Perry a uh, political science professor at Tulane University where she teaches a course on social justice and African-American religion and politics. She said this, and by the way, this is the sentiment of much of our government and certainly this is the sentiment of most all of our secular universities. Here's what she said, quote, we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once we recognize it's everybody's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments, end quote. Folks, that's just demonic. It's reminiscent of Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village. Folks, it's past time to wake up. The walls are being breached. You simply must get serious about being discipled and making disciples, especially in your families. Get rid of your Xboxes. Start opening up your Bibles. 
Start using social media to warn your friends about coming judgment. Give them the gospel. Exalt Christ, not yourself. People need to see Jesus, not you. Look, making disciples can happen in a myriad of ways. The combination of helping people believe and learn and obey Christ can happen informally. It can happen formally. We're going to give you some ideas in a few minutes. In fact, just living a Christ-honoring life before other people gives you opportunities to witness to them. But folks, you have got to learn to be purposeful, intentional. This has to be a priority because Christ has commanded it. We must have a premeditated, calculated, planned deliberate approach to evangelism and discipleship. You know, Jesus and his disciples didn't just wander around aimlessly with no purpose, praying that people would come up to them and say, what must I do to be saved? No, there was always a strategy. They took the initiative. Go, therefore. By the way, go means to travel, in the original language, to, 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 to journey. It's the idea of, of get moving, Get engaged in the activity of preaching judgment and salvation to the whole world. Now, it might be helpful for you to understand that in the ancient days, certainly in the first century, um, disciples didn't merely join a group. They didn't merely enroll in some school. But what they would do is they would wholeheartedly commit themselves to a person. And so the early disciples did exactly that. They wholeheartedly committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who took time to preach to them as a group, the one who took time to teach uh, them in smaller groups and spend time with them individually. Beloved, this should be our passion as well. Jesus is our model and he is our Lord. So as your pastor... I would humbly but forthrightly exhort you to get serious about making disciples. (laughs) You might say, Pastor, I can see that, you know, you've got something between your teeth here. You're not going to let go of it. Well, it's really true, folks. I'm not going to let up on this. And there's a reason why. The reason is because I have a passion to see God glorified through your obedience. I have a longing, and I know that you do too, to see people come to Christ. Moreover, I have a yearning to see Christ's joy in you that your joy may be made full, as Jesus said in John 15, 11. You talk about exciting, you start getting serious about evangelism and discipleship, and your life will radically change. You won't have time to be about some of the things you waste your time with. They will be boring to you. Why is it that so few Christians make disciples? I thought about that. I think one reason is because we can just be downright pig-headed, rebellious. We can come up with a thousand excuses why we're kind of doing it, but other people should do it, and that's not really my gift. You know, all of that type of thing. And for some people, they're just men of flesh, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. The influence of the world is just so appealing to the flesh that 
They're controlled by the flesh. They're not controlled by the spirit. They're not walking by the spirit. Like I say, they're addicted to the world, all of the entertainment, all the social media, all that silly stuff. And so Paul said they're babes in Christ. They're spiritually immature. They, 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 they can only have easily digestible truths of doctrine. That's why he said you have to give them milk to drink, not solid food. You're not able to receive it. He goes on to talk about how they're characterized by jealousy and strife. They walk like mere, mere men. That's why some people don't get serious about that. Maybe that's you. But I fear that most professing Christians do not make disciples because they themselves are not a disciple of Christ. They're self-deceived. They've never really been born again. You know, many call Jesus Savior but have no desire to serve him as Lord. They do not follow him as his disciple, which proves they do not belong to him. Jesus said in Luke six forty six, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In verse 47, he went on to say, Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Then he contrasts it with another type of person. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly. It's like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. It's interesting. This reveals two very different attitudes, heart attitudes regarding discipleship, regarding those who follow him. One man digs deep in his heart. He genuinely repents. He comes to Christ. He lays his foundation for salvation upon God's saving grace through Christ. He anchors that foundation in the rock of God's merciful and gracious provision. On the outside, however, the second man appears to have the same religious edifice as the first man. They both look alike from the outside. We know that it's built in the same region since the same storm affected them both. But what you couldn't see in the second man is his foundation. His religious edifice was not built upon an accurate understanding of the gospel. In fact, he had no foundation at all. He had placed his faith in all the wrong things. He was self-deceived. This man heard what Jesus said, but he refused to obey him. He was a hearer. He was not a doer. Folks, this is at the heart of Jesus' analogy here. He is warning that those who merely hear his words but never put them into practice prove that they are not truly his disciples. They, they will not escape the judgment that will inevitably fall upon those who do not follow him. You know, it's like the parable of the wheat and the tares that Jesus gave. False believers look just like true believers in many ways until the storm of divine judgment 
comes and like a tsunami of divine wrath sweeps away all of their self-righteous, phony religiosity. And their religious house is gone. What a clear and solemn warning to those who claim to be disciples of Christ and yet they do not follow him. Folks, talk is cheap. Who do you follow? Some false teacher? Some religious system? Some denomination? You follow yourself? Or do you follow Christ? And if you do follow Christ, what you will find is you will act upon his words. Not in order to get saved, but because you are saved. Because there's been this radical transformation in you. Let me put it differently. Every genuine convert to Christ will be a disciple of Christ. They will follow Christ. Meaning they will believe in him. They will be learning about him, learning from him. They will follow him. They will obey him. And if you are not a disciple of Christ, you are not a Christian. It is so clear all through Scripture. In thinking about this, I thought it would be helpful to digress for a moment to explain how easy it is, especially in our culture, to be deceived by some of the errant religious systems that are out there, some errant theology that can produce a false conversion. Folks, genuine conversion is so much more than accepting Jesus into your heart. Or you will hear people say, um, make a decision for Christ. Open your heart up to Christ and let him save you. Frankly, expressions like that are are unbiblical. I know what people mean by that in, in some cases, but you've got to be very careful with that. You see, all of those statements assume that man must begin the work of salvation by becoming willing... And then God will cooperate with him and complete it. Very dangerous thing. The implication is that man must do what he can before God can do the rest. So you'll have preachers begging people to walk aisles and you've got all of the music going and, and all of this type of thing. Begging people to make a decision for Christ. And then once they make that decision... They are counseled at once to make sure that no one ever causes them to doubt their salvation, that, boy, this is the work of God, trust in God's work, and it is accomplished. The problem is, this assumes that faith in Christ, that genuine repentance is possible to an unregenerate person who is dead in his sins. That's the assumption here. It implies that a man's salvation is his choice, not God's. Suddenly, the self-will of the sinner becomes the core of salvation rather than the power of God, who alone can cause a person to be born again. And the danger with this is that there is a faith which an unregenerate man can muster by making his decision. It's called a dead faith that cannot save. And it can bring joy 
and it can bring peace for a season. But you know what? You will see that that person in the long run will never follow Christ. Many professing Christians trust in a delusion. They trust in an experience, in some act, some prayer, some walking of the aisle. They wrongly assume that they were the one that chose the time and the place for their rebirth, that somehow they caused their rebirth. They wrongly assume that they came to Christ and they laid claim uh, to to their personal share of what Christ did for everybody in general on the cross. But they were never told that if indeed their conversion was a work of God, and not of themselves, that you will see a radical change in your nature. If this is truly a work of God, you will see a change in your disposition. You will become a new creation. The old things will pass away. The new things will come. There will be a rebirth, regeneration, which is the supernatural instantaneous impartation of spiritual life to the spiritually dead. They're never told that your change of heart will validate the genuineness of your faith. That that's at the very core. It's the very essence of salvation. Many people are never told that the new birth is the result of the operation of the Spirit of God. You see, they're never told that regeneration is the cause of conversion, not the result of it. Do you understand that? That true saving faith will inevitably result in true disciples of Christ who love and serve and obey him. Folks, let me be perfectly clear. If you look honestly at your life, and you see no real desire to serve, to love, to obey Christ, you have no passion to really learn from him and follow him and tell other people about him, you may well have a dead faith that cannot save. Again, we read in John 8.31, Jesus saying, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. John even says in 1 John 2.24, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and in the Father. And then in 2 John 9, he says, Anyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So this brings us back to the text. Besides belief in the gospel, Jesus' supreme command is for us to go and to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. The point is, his genuine disciples will be disciple makers. So, folks, I would encourage you to examine yourself. Be brutally honest. Are you a disciple of Christ? Do you believe in him as your only hope of salvation? Do you continue to learn from him? You want to imitate him. You want to obey him. You want to serve him. You follow him. And people can see it. Because if you have no desire to go and to make disciples, to see people baptized, to teach them to to observe all that 
Jesus has commanded. There's something seriously wrong in your spiritual life. Maybe you have never truly been born again. And if so, I would plead with you to trust Christ today. And one of the most certain proofs that you have been truly born again will be your desire as well as your ability to follow Christ, to be a disciple and to make disciples. And for those of you who know and love Christ, and you've seen fruit in your life, but right now you're feeling a certain amount of conviction, realizing that, you know, I'm just not real serious about this priority. Well, I have good news for you. God is forgiving. He is long-suffering. He is gracious. You have been warned. And we also have some very specific ways that I think can help you become not only a better disciple, but a better discipler, okay? That's what our fourth pillar is all about. We are going to describe some of the opportunities for personal discipleship and counseling, in-depth theological teaching. Practically speaking, Pastor Joe, you, you all don't see him a lot because he's behind the scenes. You have no idea what an enormous help he is to me as he counsels, as he disciples. He's been working very hard to put what we're about to announce together. By the way, on Tuesdays, he's gone from early until very late to uh, Paris, Tennessee, to counsel and to teach uh, a large church up there, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about here. And then on Thursdays, he goes to Jackson, and then from Jackson back to Paris. And so he's a very busy man. And he is finishing up his uh, doctoral uh, dissertation, his project at, at Southern Seminary up in uh, um, Louisville, Kentucky. And his whole project is implementing a discipleship and counseling ministry here at Calvary Bible Church. That's what we talked about over a year and a half ago when we got on the phone. Robert DePee said, hey, you need to talk to a friend of mine. And Joe was as skeptical as I was, but I called Joe, and before you know it, we realized that we were both pursuing the same rabbit. And so I said, Joe, this is what we need here. Well, this is what I want to do. So here he is. So, brother, come up here, and let me ask you a few questions here, and then I want you to, to give them more of the specifics here. You know, Joe has been an associate pastor for a number of years. He was a senior pastor for, what, seven years in, in Yakima? Not quite. Pardon? Four years. Four years. All right, four years. And now he's been here for what seems to be seven years. And, uh, seems like it. And obviously, the, uh, the discipleship is, is part of the Great Commission. We know that. But I know some people are going to probably say, well, wait a minute, it, isn't it enough just to you know, listen to, to preaching, to maybe go to Sunday school, to, you know, to read the Bible on my own. Isn't that enough? You know, why, why do we need to have something more? How would you answer that? I, I, I would really answer that with um, the vision that the elders of Calvary Bible Church have for, for this body. And John, if you could pull up that slide, that would be great. 
When I, when I, to answer that question, I look up at this slide and, and we are in the fourth pillar. We're going to go to the fifth pillar, which is about prayer and one another means next week. But it, it, from my experience personally as a believer, I have hopscotch between these pillars. I've hung on to one pillar. For instance, I've been involved in a a very large church that is exemplary in its expository preaching. And And that's all I did. I mean, I just, I just love the teaching of the Word of God, just gobble that up, gobble that up, gobble that up. I left church, but nobody was there to help me, help point out to me, well, how did this message to you, how is this going to change your life today? How are you going to implement it? How is that going to change your heart attitude? I was just a guy that walked around with this big old bobblehead, just a ton of theology up here, but really saw no evidence of that theology being implemented. I love the Word of God. And then I've gone through seasons where worship was just everything. I'm worshiping at church. I'm throwing a CD into a car. I have my, my Walkman on, if you're familiar with that. I dated myself there. And, and I just embraced that for a season of time. And then I actually got into the whole, the whole discipleship thing. And, and that was great too. But, but my point is, it's not one at the exception of the others. It's all together and what discipleship does is it, it puts a person into a, a one-on-one relationship with a person that's a little bit further down the road than you are with that person intentionally drawing near and pointing out how are you, teaching, how are you taking the, the preaching of God's word and implementing that into your life. How's your time of worship? How's your, how's your personal doxology? Your personal time of praise? How is it that you are coming alongside others? What are you doing to share the love of Christ with others? Fulfilling that, that third pillar. And so discipleship is, is, is not this standalone ministry. It, its attempt is to take everything that the church embraces and seeing that implemented into a person's life. And how did that specifically happen with you? Well, I, as I said, in part, I, I grew up in an expository, you know, preaching church and had a lot of head knowledge. But it wasn't until I started attending a church in Denver as an associate pastor there, had to become an associate pastor to learn how to disciple, um, where a gentleman on staff uh, introduced me to the idea of one-on-one relationship, one-on-one discipleship. And, and, and that was a great time for me. It, it taught me a methodology of discipleship, what can be actually uh, obtained in that one-on-one relationship. The, the, the doctrine of theology, I might depart a little bit from what they were teaching at that time. But I, I, I learned what could be had as an individual where you are investing and somebody's investing in you intentionally, weekly, and throughout the week, what your walk is like. How, are you keeping up? Are you reading? Do you have a personal time of doxology, of, of praise and worship? But it wasn't really until I departed from my associate pastor position, went into a senior pastor position in Yakima, Washington, where I, I looked at a crowd of people and realized that a lot of people are coming to hear the preaching of the Word of God, but no one's investing in them. No one's sitting down and saying, Brother, you've got some issues. And everybody knows you have the issues, but no one's willing to sit down in love and say, let's just take one issue at a time and see what the Word of God and the Spirit of God can do in your life. And, and, and that just became very clear. And as a result... Um, I, I came to a, a quick realization that I just did not know how to, to actually counsel people well. Because you and I, as, as we have dialogued over the last almost two years, we do define discipleship and counseling as, as, as brothers, but different. 
Discipleship is something that, that you and I would call a, a preventative maintenance ministry within the church. Where, where you're investing in me and you're challenging me on certain aspects of my life, which you see might be creeping out of control and bringing me back to the Word of God to see how implement this truth in, in, in God's Word. And that's going, to, that's going to reprove you. It's going to correct your, your, your walk. Whereas you and I would say counseling is, is, is where someone has a life-dominating sin issue that really is, is basically holding their, their walk in one place. It is it's capturing their walk. It is hindering their walk. And now we are, we are bringing the Word of God and, and that direct counseling to bear in their life to teach them how to, as Paul said, put off that and then put on a Christ-like replacement. Okay? And so I learned very quickly that I was not very good at doing that. I had the doctrine and the theology, a master's of divinity, but I did not know how to implement those truths. And hence the reason for pursuing... This, this current um, D-men, this doctorate in, in biblical counseling through my mentor, Dr. Stuart Scott, who you are very familiar with. Right. You know, as you talk, it reminds me, I, I went through a similar thing, going through years of sitting in church, years of learning the Word of God, years of good preaching, um, and then about halfway through my seminary training, I began to realize that I had all this theology, but I really didn't know how to help a person who was struggling with some life-dominating sin. Plus, I was really blind to a lot of stuff that was negatively impacting my walk with Christ. So, by God's grace, someone came into my life that began to speak to me on more of an individual basis, and everything changed. And other people as well, and then that, that process continued on. And in fact, it led eventually to something that Joe and I both ended up reading, and that was uh, Baxter's great work. Uh, why don't you tell them about that? Because that is a, a bit of a model that we look at that is very biblical, that is somewhat driving much of what our thinking is here. Uh, the first time I was in- introduced to Richard Baxter, um, a, a Puritan back in the, I think, 17th century, Puritan, um, was back at the master seminary. It was required reading. I read it just to check a box. To be honest with you, just to check a, check a box. And it was very challenging. It was a very challenging book. Uh, it focuses much on on the pastor and on the shepherd and 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 making sure that that they are in a good place in their walk with the Lord in order to be able to 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 go out and to, to disciple and counsel other people. But it wasn't until. <clears throat> Um, Baxter became required reading for me again through this, this doctorate program where I, I really, f- for the first time, actually started understanding why Baxter is, is, is a favorite of many pastors because his passion was about the one another, he's the one-on-one. Um, Baxter, uh, he's a preacher. He loves to preach the, he loved to preach the Word of God. But he would tell you that his... His greatest significance in the lives of people wasn't behind the pulpit as, 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 as the only means in which to minister. He realized the pulpit was one of the many ways in which he could effectively disciple and counsel people to a greater and greater form of Christ-likeness. He realized that when he got into a, a one-on-one or, 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 or a, a pastor and a family relationship and discussing his, his uh, curriculum was the, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. He would utilize that as his curriculum. And um, Baxter 
realized that as he spent that, that more intimate relationship with family members and with individuals, he was able to identify where somebody was falling short, where somebody was struggling with a sin issue and could immediately address that. And then if it wasn't readily reconciled, he can spend the rest of his time as the weeks and the months progress investing in that person. And, and, and I came to really realize that's, that's the key. That's where I've seen my personal success in shepherding is spending more than just a, 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 a one or a two-hour office session with someone. Uh, the idea of here's two verses and call me in the morning simply doesn't work. Right. And, you know, this is really what, what shaped my philosophy of ministry. By the way, Baxter is very biblical. I mean, you go to Scripture first, but he was a great example of this, and it shaped my philosophy of ministry, and it has all the way through here at Calvary Bible Church. But what I noticed is once the, the people got more than about 70, all of a sudden I can't wrap my arms around it anymore. I can't keep up with people. And so what became a burden for me is to make sure that other people are learning to get serious about making disciples. And the thing kept getting further and further away from me, and that's what finally led to you know, the Lord leading me to Joe and Joe to us. So tell us specifically what this, what this program is going to look like. Well, those of you that are, that are interested in participating in this new soul care ministry, we use the word soul care because that's what we want to provide, caring for people's souls. Uh, we have doctors that, that care for people physically, and, and, and we want individuals within this church that can care for the souls of, of, of Christ's children. And this ministry will be um, revealed in, in greater detail March 22nd. You have a flyer that was, that was given out to you. This is a personal invitation. If you are interested in learning more about the Soul Care Ministry, March 22nd from 9 to 12, here in, in this fellowship hall, in this worship center, uh, we will present what soul care will look like here at Calvary Bible Church. We will go through and spend some time learning about what, what, church, uh, what church history has revealed about biblical discipleship and soul care, and then we'll reveal the program here. In general, the program deals initially with a 20-week curriculum, which is based off of the Westminster Confession of Faith, but then fine-tune according to our uh, doctrinal statement here at Calvary Bible Church. It's a curriculum that both Pastor and I have and will continue to work on to make sure that it lines up directly with our conviction and our understanding of doctrine and theology. And this is a 20-week uh, curriculum, but it's not about going through a curriculum. My concern and the concern of other disciplers is, is not to somehow reinvent the wheel in your life. If you understand who Christ is and, and, and what your need was and, and, and your understanding, you have a firm foundation of, of your understanding of regeneration and the, and the promise of salvation in your life, we want to then find out how is the gospel impacting your life today. Each lesson specifically is meant to guide you through a systematic theology our goal in an hour and a half to a two-hour session with you one-on-one -on -one is to find out where is this being implemented in your life today? How is this truth actually impacting the way in which you think? For instance, the longest lesson, and, and this, as, as you have alluded to, this, this program has been implemented up in, in both Jackson and in Paris, and it's the third lesson. I will, I will hand this out to someone, and they'll look at it, the attributes of God. 
And they'll look at all these attributes. And it's the longest lesson in the series. And, and they're like, wow, this is a lot of work. Yeah, but I, I give you all the descriptions of the attributes. All I want you to do is spend time through each attribute and say, how does this impact the way I think about God? How does this impact the way in which God can deal with the fact that I was dating the guy for, for five, five weeks and now the guy broke up with me or I just found out that I lost my job. I just found out that I was diagnosed with a, with a life-threatening disease. How do these attributes impact your walk today? I, when I give that lesson to a person, they leave and they have the rest of the week to deal with that. They come back and they're like, it's an aha moment. They used to think, you know, God's invisible, God's spiritual, God's eternal, God's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. I get that. Who cares? But when they come back thinking about how that actual attribute impacts the way in which they live their life, it, 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 it presents a whole different perspective on their relationship with God. Discipleship is meant to draw you closer to a relationship with Christ. Not just with your head, but with your heart. That's the goal. And if we, can, if we can develop that kind of passionate relationship, that becomes, as, as you would say, um, epidemic, creating a culture here that, that we believe we want to establish, a culture of discipleship. Yeah, because it's more than we want to disciple you. We want to teach you to disciple others, all right? And so you can begin to see how this can, you know be exponential in terms of its impact. Now, by the way, that's not to say that this hasn't been going on in various ways. There's been a lot of this that's gone on, a lot of it very informally, some a little bit more formally, but we want to try to give you some tools that will really help as this thing goes forward. I, I, I agree. I mean, my time here at Calvary, I know there have been individuals that I would say I have a discipleship relationship with. And what we want to do is we, we just want to help point out some methodology and, and, and biblical techniques that just make individuals more effective in ministering to the souls of, of others. Um, there are times where I think it's, it's really appropriate to say, hey, brother, how's your relationship with your wife? Probably the best time is not after, you know, I, I've been driving for, for 10 hours and, and you're just, I just want to fall asleep. There, there are certain times where you ask those very critical questions. And timing is everything. Setting is everything. And, and, and we want to help instruct people on how they can come alongside more effectively to counsel. I believe that we're all, I believe that any follower of Christ that desires to invest in another person, they're well-meaning, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily know exactly how to do it. I didn't. And, and I, I have a, a master's in, in, in theology and in, in, in doctrine and in preaching, and yet had no clue on how to effectively minister to people. And so it, it's something that is, is learned, and we want to help educate and instruct and train others to be more effective in that. And so after they go through the 20-week discipleship program, then they are ready to go into the second stage that I know you're going to get into more of this later for those that want to come, right. but, but it's going to be more in helping them learn how to counsel more specific types of issues that we typically deal with. Right. As, as we discussed, discipleship is preventative maintenance and counseling is, is that, that critical care. It's that ER moment. And um, we want to teach others on, on how to uh, very specifically and, and directly through the Word of God address various um, life-dominating sin issues, addictions, fear, anxiety, worry, depression, um, you name it. We want to help you be able to teach others to observe whatsoever Jesus has commanded, mm -hmm. all right? 
That's making disciples. Mm-hmm. All right. So when is it again? March, March 22nd. Okay. Saturday, start. 9 to 12. I'm taking away all the excuses. There'll be a great breakfast, a great lunch, and childcare provided. Okay. So it's going to be a great breakfast and a great lunch and great childcare. So be here. We'll meet here in, in the worship center. We'll have tables set up. Um, and then we'll have our breakfast and lunch in the fellowship hall, our family life center. And, and child care will be provided. We will feed your children too. That's another excuse. Out of the way. It's going to be a great time. And at the end of the, at, of the seminar, you will, uh, you will have the choice of, of going through the project. And I call it a project because it is a 20-week project. But, but folks, I want to make this very clear. I, I, am, I am not here to get a project done and out of the way. I've been doing this. I've been, I've been in discipleship and counseling for years. I specifically chose my project around something that is my heart's passion. And this will, I repeat, will continue on here in Nashville, in Jackson, and in Paris. This is, this is my life investment as far as the local church is concerned. Uh, we just want to do it really, really well here. We want Calvary Bible Church to, to be the model that can be reduplicated around the world. And I need help. Um, it is my goal over the next, adding um, the next few weeks in, the next 25, the next six months, my goal is to start identifying people that just have a real passion for this to, to work myself out of a job. And we have discussed this that we need individuals, um, both male and female, godly men and women, to have a passion for discipleship, a passion for counseling, where Pastor and I, between the two of us, um, we're probably overkill in our counseling abilities and what we can do to train here at Calvary Bible Church. But we actually want you to take ownership of this ministry so that we can step back and do what what we love to do. Take one or two people and just invest in them and take just certain counseling um, cases that we can invest in, but be able just to launch the, the burden upon individuals here that will be more than capable of, of meeting that need. What Paul called equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Right. Amen. 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 All right, good. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. I, I'm excited. I hope you are as well. Brother, will you close this? Father, we do thank you for just another time to be here in your house, Father, and and we look back at the message, Father, in, in remembrance of the fact that it was through your supernatural regeneration of us that we have the promise of this thing called salvation. But it's also through the regeneration and the transformation, the new, the, the new spirit that, that reigns and rules within us that gives us this desire to want to invest in one another. And Father, it is a privilege to be able to invest in, a, in, a, in another heir, a joint heir, of Christ, to come and to, to bring the transforming truths, the love and the grace that we find only uh, through that regeneration that's taken place in our lives to, to bring help and hope in the lives of people. Father, there is no greater joy than that, 
to know that an hour, 90 minutes, or if we're really, really dogmatic and having just a wonderful time in fellowship, two hours is just investing in one another. And we walk away from that time and realize that, that you were in the midst of it. Your word was transforming. Your spirit was enlightening. And, and somebody got it. The lights went on. The conviction took place. And the putting off and the putting on process was now being initiated in that person's life. We can walk away and know that indeed it was a good day. And yet, Father, the reality is that too many of us, they, we come to church, we, we get filled in, in, our, in, our, in our heads this wonderful doctrine, and yet we do nothing with that knowledge, either in our personal lives or in the lives of others. And we, and, and we deny ourselves the joy that can be known and seen lives transformed. And Father, I, I, I'm seeing it happen in Jackson. I'm seeing it happen in Paris. I've seen it happen in Denver and in Yakima and in Jacksonville, Florida. I've seen it happen in, in, in my relationships with individuals in Argentina, individuals in Russia. Father, that discipleship works. It's not because somehow Calvary Bible Church has, has, has the, uh, uh, the monopolized the only way in which... To do discipleship? No, not at all. There are many forms, many effective forms of discipleship. And, and if we're not trying to be dogmatic, but what we are trying to do is just to reveal to people the kind of impact that they can have, not just in the lives of their children of, or of their, of their spouse, but in the lives of, of other individual believers, people that are sitting to the right and to the left of them that they know are struggling but just don't know what to say or how to deal how to bring the help and hope of God's word into their lives. We can show them. It is a proven methodology because your apostles did it and the early church fathers did it. We, the church, were the first psychiatrists and psychologists. We, that's where the word soul care comes from, psyche. We were the first psyche care people. And we can take that back again and make an incredible impact, not, in, not just in the lives of people in the church, but in the lives of people outside of these walls as we expose them to the transforming truth of the gospel. And then once they are regenerated, we can show them the transforming truths of, of sanctification, lifelong sanctification. And so, Father, we, um, we are excited about what, what will continue to take place here at Calvary. This process has already been implemented and now we're just, we're just bringing even a greater focus of a light to this sanctifying ministry here at Calvary Bible Church. So Father, I do pray that you just work in the hearts of people and those that are interested in finding out how to do this better, not just with their own children, but with other believers, then March 22nd will be a great time, Father, for them to come and to hear um, what is going on here at Calvary Bible Church with discipleship and counseling. But Father, I... And first and foremost, thank you for the shepherd here, for Pastor Dave, uh, kindred spirits and, and lovers of your word, expositors of, of the word, but also convinced that it is the word of God that will continue to transform the lives of your people. And he wants that for this church. And so he is more invested in this than any of us. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for it. it it's because of, of your spirit and word that has brought him to this place. And so, Father, we thank you for a pastor such as this, for a time such as this here at Calvary, that we can make an impact not just locally but globally because this is needed everywhere. 
Because every pastor around the globe is realizing how they are falling short of bringing solid biblical discipleship and counseling to their people. And we could help. We can indeed help. So, Father, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity and the responsibility. And we're going to trust um, that you're going to guide each step here. Because we know that for those whom you love, you, you mark the steps. So, Father, thank you for that. Thank you for that promise. It's your son's name that we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.